This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 65, part A. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hello and welcome to the Negotiate X podcast. My name is Nolan Martin. Excited that you are here. Kicking it over to Aram to introduce our guest. Thanks, Nolan. Folks, today we have Nicole Posner, who is a communication conflict expert, empowering leaders and business owners to minimize conflict through more effective communication. Nicole supports her clients to successfully navigate difficult conversations with confidence and finesse to create harmonious and thriving workplaces. As an author, consultant, coach, trainer, and accredited workplace mediator, Nicole has an interest in the psychology of conflict combined with extensive experience in communications following a background in public relations. She is the author of And Breathe, Prevent, Manage, and Master Difficult Leadership Conversations in Business and Beyond, as well as many other articles on communication and workplace conflict in various publications. Nicole was voted Communication and Conflict Consultant of the Year in the Greater London Enterprise Awards 2022, and in 2021, she was included in the Brains 500 Global List, as well as in 2020, Nicole was a finalist in the UK's National Mediation Awards. Nicole lives in London with her husband, Julian. She is proud to have three sons, three stepchildren, four grandchildren, and two dogs. Thank you, Nicole, for joining us today. Thank you so much for that introduction. Lovely to be here chatting to you both. Thanks, Nicole. So you've always had quite a professional as well as personal journey. 20 years ago, did you see yourself where you are today? And what was it that brought you into the field of communication and conflict management? Yeah, well, it has been quite a journey. And absolutely, I had no idea that I would end up where I am today. I mean, I'm sure we sort of all had our our stories. But um, <laughs> I think I started this journey about 35 odd years ago, uh, working in PR, as, as you pointed out before. And um, it was a very toxic workplace. If you know anything about the PR industry, it's sort of quite glamorous and fun, but you know, it's a, it's a tough place to be. You know, the expectations of you, the long hours, the weekends, you know, you give blood and, and treated, you know, like uh, you're, you're lucky to be there. So it was pretty tough, and that's quite important to this part of the story because I had uh, a managing director that used to walk along the corridor after us, calling us, I don't know if I can use this word, so bleep it out if I can't, just calling us (laughs) effing as we ran down the corridor after us if we made a mistake. And that was always something that, you know, resonated with me, but in those days, HR were there to hire and fire. They weren't there for somebody to go and to complain to about how we've been treated. Anyway, fast forward a number of years. I got married at an early age, 26. And my husband at the time said to me, look, you know, it's our mar- it's marriage or your, your career here. And I said, okay, I better, better make the right choice here. 
left there, set up my own sort of marketing business with for writing, like with all the communication skills I learned there. But I realized that I needed needed more. Unfortunately, the marriage didn't work, my three amazing boys. And after a number of years, I decided to study psychology just as, as a human interest, a hobby. And I did that for about six years, learned way too much about myself in that time, you know, things I shouldn't even think, wow, <laughs> whoa. And at the end of that, I thought, you know, it came to a natural end. It was a weekly study group. I thought, I'd love to do something with this, but I don't want to go back into full-time education. I still have my young boys at the time. So what, what can I do to incorporate this? And I found this online distant learning course. And one of the modules on there was mediation. And I, it really kind of resonated with me because I thought I'm a problem solver. You know, I like people. I like solving problems. And that really sort of jumped out at me because unlike a lot of therapies or, or other sort of things you can do, mediation is, is within a time frame, a short defined time frame usually to reach a conclusion or a finite end. And I'm quite an impi- impatient person. I like I like all that. So... I decided to train to be a mediator and it was taught from the psychology of conflict, which tied in with my uh, study of psychology. And after I did that, I remembered back to my days in PR, which was a very toxic workplace. I thought, you know what, I'd really like to take this a step further. The mediation training I'd had was, was fairly diverse training but it was mainly about business and IP and money and what really resonates with me is people relation relationships with people and within the workplace particularly took me back to my PR days I thought that's where my my focus is so I trained to be a mediator and from all the mediations I did this is a very long-winded answer to a question, sorry. A lot, uh, <laughs> Robert, basically, basically, from all the mediations I did, I realized that a lot of the conflict that happens here is because leaders don't know how to have those difficult conversations there. And so it was nothing got sorted, it was avoided, it was bypassed, it was dealt with badly. So I trained to be a coach to help manage the leaders have those difficult conversations. And from that, I then train, do training as well. And um, now I consult. That's that's mainly what I do. So an answer, a very long-winded answer to your question, did I ever imagine 20-odd years ago I would be where I am today? Absolutely not. It's a great <laughs> it's answer. A great it's answer. a great answer. Yeah, because it gets to it gets to things I think that Nolan, myself, and our listeners can identify with, right? The the draw to problem solving, the draw to people. I think that if you're in this line of work, you have to. It's hard to not like people, or at least be interested or yeah. curious about them. Uh, and then the recognition that as, a, as as kind of shocking as it might be, especially in 2023, maybe less so 20, 30 years ago, but that there's so many leaders who are still lacking in these skills and yeah. the, the impact that has on, on the workplace conflict. Absolutely. Enjoyed your book so much. Um, oh, thank you. It's, it's a, it's, it's a lovely book and I, and I highly recommend and we'll make sure folks have a, have a connection to, to reading it. It's divided into two parts, prevention and cure. I'm hoping that we can kind of discuss both of those ideas, concepts as we go along, very similar in the same way that you do. And 
I would like to ask about the title, maybe start there. So you call it And Breathe. Why'd you choose that title for a book about difficult conversations? It's a great question, actually. When um, I was working with the publishers on it, and they said to me at the very beginning, you know, what do you want your readers to feel after they've read it? Where, where, where are they going to be at? And I thought, you know what? When you've had that conversation, you just want to feel relief. Oh, thank God it's over. And, and, and that was like, oh, and breathe. Thank God that was over. But also twofold in, in another way that when we prepare for conversations, you know, when you're quite tense and you sort of hold your breath and you're, you're sort of in that, yeah. that state and you sort of say, okay, breathe. So, you know, and, and so that's how it, I thought that was quite nice tie into how you feel before and how you feel afterwards. So that relief and breathe. So. There's so much on just kind of being in control of, of this, right? Which, and it does start with breathe, breathing in, breathing out. And so that's, that's nice. Relief and prepare, deal with the tension we feel. Exactly. Love to follow up there. So you, you define a difficult conversation simply as a conversation that really matters, one that we really care about when the stakes are high, one where so much rests on that outcome. These conversations are so important. Why do we have such strong resistance to having them? Well, I think there are, uh, mm, I mean, no one likes a difficult conversation, but there's normally, I, I would say there are four main reasons. One is fear. One is lack of skills. One is limiting beliefs. And one is that we never have enough time. And the irony of never having enough time is it normally we end up spending way more time on it afterwards once it's manifested and become right. a bigger problem. The lack of skills, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on this at some point, but there's a lot of New managers, for example, who are promoted into a leadership role and have never had any training to support that. Or, or even business owners or entrepreneurs who, you know, are, are new, new into running a business, but they've never had, um, never had to manage people before. So they don't have people management skills. The two I would focus on the most, I, I think I focus on the most, it's probably the fear that we have of these conversations. And for everyone, that will be different. So it might be fear of confrontation, fear of losing control, fear of losing, um, fear of judgment, fear of um, messing up the conversation, fear of, you know, pushback. So, so everybody is going to have their own fear. Um, and then there are limiting beliefs, of course, which are based on uh, perhaps you've had a similar conversation in the past. It didn't go well. So your limiting belief is, well, it's not going to go well this time. It never does. Or um, no one ever listens. Or, you know, I, I've tried to address this before and they don't listen. So what's the point? So I'd say those are probably the four, the four main reasons. But those limiting beliefs and fear are the most prevalent. And as you look at those, all, I guess all four of those that you mentioned, fear, limiting beliefs, the skill, and, and kind of this time issue, which, by the way, I love how you framed that, which is when you don't deal with these conversations in the moment, they are going to take up more time in the long run. They, they don't magically disappear, the issues, uh, or rarely do they probably magically disappear. No. I mean, are you actually able to coach and train clients around these things? 
And you kind of mentioned the top two. Do you spend more time on those two yes. here in Limited Belief? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the timing is obviously an awareness. People need to understand that, as you've pointed out, they're going to end up with a lot more time on it. But yes, you can coach people, but it's, it's, it all starts with awareness. So recognizing what are your fears? You know, as I said to you before, everyone is different. Everyone's, you know, if I have a fear of confrontation, you know, I'm going to shy away from that. But if you recognize what the fear is and you then have the tools to know how to deal with those fear and you have other tools in your toolbox to help you manage yourself and the conversation then yes, you can coach people around those things, definitely, for sure. It's interesting on the fear. The I, I feel like I see two extremes. I see the person who's afraid because it's you know a fearful because it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and, and all the reasons you list. And then there's the person who's fearful because maybe it ties back to lack of skills. They know they're going to explode. Yeah. Um, and it's almost the explosive response to these conversations. We don't want that. Explosive. So as we think about the nature of conflict in the workplace, why is it helpful for us to understand the expression, every action creates a reaction? Well, just alluding back to, to your point, Aram, it's that explosion. You know, we don't want those explosive responses. They, they don't help anybody. And I don't know if you ever saw the door sliding doors. Did you ever see that? I call them, these are sliding doors moments where... I haven't, no. Great film with Gwyneth Paltrow. It's quite old. Anyway, so the, the point of it is you go down one road and it takes you in one direction and you go down another road and it takes you in a different direction. And this is the thing is, that, you know, you have a choice in how you respond. Do you react or do you respond in the situation? A response is a more well-considered and thought-out way to, to react. But a reaction is going to cause a chain of events. It's going to cause, um, if I say something explosive to you, you're going to react with something explosive back. So that is why the way we, we respond is, is going to dictate how the conversation pans out. Going back to your title in Breathe, right, which is that moment however long that breathing is probably determines whether I'm responding in a way that's going to be intentional, maybe move us in a constructive way versus maybe the reaction and trigger uh, a number of events that we don't want. Yeah. It's, it's the, the power of the pause, isn't it? You know, just, just take a second and think, is this going to be helpful to the direction of the conversation here? And in the moment, you know, let's be honest, unless we're aware of it in the moment, or unless we have the skills. And I just like to add here, you know, I'm still a work in progress, even with all this stuff I know. You know, sometimes I have to check in with myself. Well, shoot, shoot Nicole, we wouldn't have had you on if we hadn't thought you were you were perfect oh. and had mastered it all. <laughs> um, we can appreciate that. I've had moments. But the, the, the point is, yes, even with a lot of knowledge and skills and wisdom, you know, in the moment, we all... You know, we have to check in with ourselves and how, you know, how um, helpful is, how does that serve us by, you know, responding in that way? We're going to talk business conflict a little bit. I know that you work with a lot of clients there. And personally, you know, the personal conflict in our lives too, we certainly will get to some on that. You work with clients from a lot of different industries. What do you see as some of the, the, the greatest sources of conflict within businesses? 
And as a kind of second question to that, you know, what have you seen in terms of how the pandemic or and now post-pandemic environment, what, what's that done to either ease or further exasperate those sort of issues? The kind of things that I, I think create conflict within businesses are change is a very big one uh, when a business is going through a change and transformation because while as leaders or business owners, uh, we might know what's going on in the business, it's quite unsettling for other people if they're not in the know or if they just don't like change. So so transition and change is, is a big conflict trigger and how that's managed. Then you have people dynamics. You know, we we don't choose the people we work with unless, you know, you're a business, you, you, it's your own business and you choose your business partner. But generally in the workplace, you turn up for work and, and you work with people that, and not everyone is going to get on that that's just the way of the world and if you think how many hours a week you work with somebody if you have a personality clash and that's not managed well that that is going to create conflict bringing in new management so again if a company is going through change they might bring in new people to help you know the transition of the business but equally let's say an example is if you're um so a small business, an SME, and uh, you might have, I don't know, 10, 15 employees, but you want to focus on expanding the business yourself and you bring in um, a middle management to take over you know, some of the day-to-day stuff. The employees who would normally have had direct access to you suddenly don't have direct access to you. So there's that sort of conflict where, well, you know, I feel like I've been pushed aside, you know, I can't speak to to you anymore. Um, and how that's managed can can dictate how well that process and that, you know, onboarding of that new manager is. So that that that's always quite a big one. Then you have silos. So team, you know, one arm of the business has no idea what the other arm's doing and they're working on projects independently, which impact, you know, bigger picture. You know, a marketing department might be preparing a whole marketing plan for a new product launch. But in fact, product development is way behind on schedule. So they're doing something over here. But in fact, you know, the, the product is two months away and marketing are ready to go. It's, you know, those, those sort of lack, complete lack of communication. Then we have um, new systems and processes. So new technology in a business. You have, you know, perhaps an older generation who are used to doing something a certain way. And you bring in, you know, with AI now and new, new systems and things, you, you see a lot of resistance to that. And people don't like being told they have to do something when they think the old way is working very well. Cross-function reporting. So you have people reporting into uh, different departments or different bosses, and um, that always creates a bit of friction as well because everyone thinks their work's more important. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of different things that you highlight there that can cause a lot of friction among teams, and and I know that Aaron and I have definitely seen seen that throughout our military careers and, and even through our clients. So Thank you for highlighting that. I know that you spend a great deal of time helping people work on how they communicate. Was it what is it though that about communication, whether it's the preferred style, cultural differences, expressions, gestures, even the modality that makes awareness around communication so critical 
to understanding conflict? I think, first of all, it's important to say, you know, awareness is, is very, is key, the way we communicate. We often don't tap into that. You know, we just do communication. So first of all, I think our style, you know, how do we say things, our intonation, our delivery, our, you know, emphasis, whether we're too direct, too subtle. You know, I always, I, there's a story, in fact, I, I include in my book about too, too subtle communication where a leader, a business owner who asked his manager to talk to one of the employees about how he, you know, a performance issue. And the manager said, yes, sure, I'll deal with it. And a few days later, the leader bumped into this particular employee and said, you know, uh, how are things going? You know, did you speak to Joe, whatever his name was the other day? So he said, yeah. So he said, how's that conversation? He said, yeah, it went well. He said, I don't really know what he was talking about, but he just talked about the rules of tennis. And that, you know, the analogy of trying to talk about the rules of tennis apropos whatever their issue was, but that is, you know, the too subtle approach. He had no idea what he was talking about. So then we have, uh, you know, the way we deliver information, um, you know, if you bombard people with information, you know, all in one hit, I also talk about broadcasting out. You know, I don't know if you've heard of, of that concept where you talk at right. people, but you don't receive information back. So that's, you know, a one-way dialogue, as it were. Then, you know, our, our voice, our intonation, um, the emphasis we put on things when somebody says, I'm not angry. <laughs> or, you know, they very clearly are very angry at that, at that moment. And then, you know, the different modalities, you know, written, that's always a very, a very delicate thing, the way we write, you know, with so many different, we, we're all very impatient now with, you know, emails, we're keyboard warriors, and sometimes we don't give enough awareness to how our our messages are, are being right. received, you know, we'll, we'll send what we think is a fairly normal email or whatever and it's you know a five line email but we don't know how that other person is experiencing that or receiving that because we don't have the visuals we don't have the eye contact we don't have you know the voice and so that's uh, something that we all need to be more focused on and aware of and then you know cultural differences in right. communication as well you know what might be acceptable in one culture is completely unacceptable in another so we need to be aware and understand perspective as well what how how whatever we're doing or saying is is being experienced and received what have you seen as like best practices to become more self-aware to doing this because i don't think everybody's as fortunate to be able to have such an awesome coach as yourself mm. to be able to walk us through this so What's like a good tip for someone to become more self-aware? I think if you if you notice that you're getting a bit of pushback or you're continually having more difficult conversations, for me that's that's quite a, a red flag. You know, I know I, I do this for a living, so that's obvious. But if you find yourself constantly, you know, like this at loggerheads with people or constantly finding that you're having these draining conversations or exchange of messaging, that should be, you know, a, a bit of a telltale sign that actually uh, I need to 
maybe think about this. Is this working? Is this serving me well? How, how effective is the way I communicate? Absolutely. I think something to, to kind of add to that is, and something that's helped me through uh, my military and even my civilian career is having a trusted agent, someone that I know, whether it's an employee, whether it's a team member that can, that I could go to, to be like, Hey, am I, am I missing the mark? Um, and able to have those real truthful conversations and prepare for, for me to get some constructive criticism and be able to take that and operate it. So yeah, thank you. Thank you, Nicole, for sure. You know, on that point, there has to be self-awareness to go and seek that trust or, or to, you know, have the, I guess the intuition that you need to have that trusted friend, you know, to seek feedback. You have to be self-aware in the first place, I, I think. My style, my delivery, my tone, even my, my own cultural preference, there's there so much wrapped up in who I am. Uh, if I'm a mid-level manager, I, I may very well not be aware of those things without somebody being aware. Right? So, so, so that, yeah. that, that point about awareness. And then I would assume, I mean, certainly when you get to modality, all these things exasperated by the world as it is now versus even just the world five years ago, you know, re- whether it's remote work or hybrid work nature or so much more done, uh, serious work done by text or chat or email. And then you, you mentioned, you know, a, the role of AI. I mean, so there's just, it feels like there's so much more room for these things to be problematic. hundred percent. I mean, you know, years ago, I, I often talk about this. There is something that we use every day. It's called a telephone, but people seem to have forgotten how to use it. You know, it's like my kids look at me now and I say, they, they say, I need to send so-and-so a message. And I'm saying, well, phone them. And they're like, right. you know, what, what, what do you mean phone them? <laughs> so, you know, we forget that the art of conversation is is lost. You know, we, we rely on these quick fix or quick fire methods of communication because we're all very impatient and there's so much option for us now. But the opportunities are far greater for creating conflict within uh, the way we communicate now. Um, you know, I don't know if, for example, you use WhatsApp. Do you use WhatsApp? I do, yeah. 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 So, you know, you get the two blue ticks if, if you've, a message has been read. And, you know, that creates so much conflict, those two blue ticks, because, you know, someone might have read your message and you can see they've read it, but they haven't replied, you know, <laughs> maybe until the next day. Right. And, you know, you know, it's like, what, why not? You know, but <laughs> if you just, because there's that expectation, you know, read and not yeah. reply, we, you know, the RNR, we call it. So, you know, there are so many things that opportunities that these modules of, of communication now create. Right. Um, using humor as well in messaging can often be lost or the interpretation of a message can be lost so easily uh, because as I mentioned before you know we can't see if I if I make a joke and you don't know me and I've sent you a message you you might think well that was very rude or that was inappropriate or, or whatever so you know with facial cues or when you can hear someone's voice there's you know you you, you get so much more from that rather than the keyboard warriors and everything else. Hey everyone, Nolan here. I have to jump in and end today's podcast for part A of this show. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Negotiate X podcast if you haven't already. And also join us next week for part B of this awesome interview. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.